Specialty Story, session number 34. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Now, welcome back. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here, as well as the host of many other podcasts at mededmedia.com. That's M-E-D-E-D media.com. This week, I have a great guest talking all about gastroenterology, specifically interventional endoscopy. We have Dr. Sushil Dudumpudi, who is going to tell us all about interventional endoscopy and his journey to becoming an interventional endoscopist and what you should be doing if you would like to be an interventional endoscopist. Dr. Dudumpudi has been practicing now in uh, as a, a gastroenterologist for 10 years, uh, specifically as an interventional endoscopist for the last seven or eight and practices now in a private practice, uh, but used to be in an academic hybrid private practice. Uh, but we're going to cover more of a community-based discussion here for this podcast today. So let's go ahead and jump right in. I asked Dr. Dinputty how he got interested in GI and specifically interventional endoscopy. I knew pretty early on that I was going to go into a procedure-based field. Um, I like to do. Uh, I joke around that in GI, we're the people that kind of aren't smart enough to do anything else, so we just kind of use procedures as much as we can. Uh, we leave the complex stuff to the nephrologists and the neurologists and everybody else. Um, I actually started residency kind of leaning towards cardiology, but realized that I hated EKGs, and that's probably not a great <laughs> thing if you want to be a cardiologist. Um, and so I gravitated towards GI field. Uh, the GI field. And I think most interns and residents kind of have that happen to them um, somewhere during their intern year. They just kind of seem more interested in one area. Some have interest in a couple of areas. Um, and that's kind of what happened to me. I just kind of gravitated toward GI field, hanging around the GI lab. Um, once I started GI, the GI fellowship, um, I knew I was into doing procedures um, and interventional endoscopy was a good fit for me um, because it lets me do procedures most of the time, but I still have some continuity with my patients. And I kind of enjoy ch chatting with them. Um, so I would say two-thirds to three-quarters of my time is spent doing procedures, and then maybe a quarter to a third is spent uh, in the office seeing patients in, in, the, in the clinic. What do you um, what do you think it was about GI that, that led you down that path when you were uh, still in your internal medicine residency? Sure. Um, GI is a, is a pretty cut and dry field compared to some of the other fields. We usually have a definitive diagnosis pretty early on after seeing a patient. And I liked, a, I liked the finality of it. Um, GI is kind of borders that surgical mindset, and a lot of GI guys have that mindset. Um, they see a problem, they want to take care of it. Um, and with GI, you kind of had finality. Patient had rectal bleeding, you do a colonoscopy, you have an answer 99% of the time, or 99% or, or, or more. 
uh, patient has abdominal pain, unless it's a functional or supertentorial issue, most of the time we come up with an answer. And I, I kind of like that. Um, and then the opportunity to do procedures. Um, I, you know, surgery would have been a nice fit for me as well. I just, I couldn't get up at 5 a.m. every day for the rest <laughs> of my life. And um, that wasn't going to work. So this was kind of, you know, either it would have been kind of one of the parasurgical specialties like ENT urology uh, would have probably worked for me as well. Um, or one of the medicine or one of the medicine subspecialties that are procedure based. And that's how I ended up in GI. What traits do you think lead, uh, to being a good, specifically for your, um, subspecialty training, being a good interventional, uh, endoscopist? So that's an interesting question. Most, many, sorry, not most, many, uh, fellows starting their GI fellowship, uh, they often say they want to do interventional endoscopy. And over their first year or two, they kind of self-select out. Um, the you have to enjoy doing procedures. That's really what it comes down to. Um, there is, are some some of the fellows that I've worked with and trained over the years. They do come in with a certain special knack. Um, I don't know if it's you know it's eye-hand coordination, and I and there's some of it that just can't be taught. Some people just have eye-hand coordination better than others. 90% of it can be taught and trained. Uh, but, you know, the, the real great ones, the people that we look, to, look up to in the field that are, you know, pushing the envelope, um, I think they're born with a little bit of it. And that, that's what differentiates them from the rest of us mere mortals, um, the guys that are really doing the hard, hardcore cutting-edge stuff. Um, so it's a little bit of you know, something you bring into the fellowship yourself it, within you. And then 90% of it, though, is just practicing, practicing, practicing. Pushing the envelope, not perforating it. Correct. <laughs> well, unless there's a little therapeutic misadventure, and that happens occasionally as well. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, as, as an interventional endoscopist, what types of patients are you seeing and treating and doing procedures on? If you're an academic interventionalist, um, you can more or less tailor your practice to focus on that. So 75% of your practice may be really advanced procedures. Uh, Community-based interventionalists, probably you flip it the other way around. Um, in gastroenterology, our bread and butter is still colonoscopy. So if you're, if you're a community-based interventional endoscopist, um, you're doing probably, depending on your practice, depending on how you want to focus it, um, up to 50, you know, somewhere between 25 to 75% general. And then the remainder is, um, advanced interventional endoscopy. Um, and what tends to happen is as you get a little bit older, you've done all the crazy stuff and all the cutting edge stuff, you kind of want to settle in a little bit, your hour, you want your hours to be a little better. You focus on kind of general gastroenterology and just do the interventional stuff, you know, maybe 25% of the time. Patients we see for general GI are all bread and butter. Uh, the younger age groups tend to come in with more functional disorders, abdominal pains, things like that. Uh, as they get a little older into the 50s, then we start doing a lot of colonoscopy screenings. Um, and then also into the 50s and 60s, we start seeing a lot of GI cancers. And interventional endoscopy is very focused on GI cancer. Um, that's where a lot of the techniques are being used and uh, developed. Describe a typical day for you. For general gastroenterologists, most of them will do roughly about a half day in the morning, starting around 7 or 8, going to about 12 or 1 of endoscopy. 
generally in an outpatient surgery center, uh, and then the afternoons is spent in the clinic. Um, more and more gastroenterologists are kind of coming out of the hospitals and staying in their office and surgery centers. Um, and a new breed of GI called GI hospitalist is start, it's just starting to happen where you're focused on inpatient training. If you go into the bigger cities, that happens less. Um, you kind of have smaller mom and pop shops where you're kind of doing your office stuff, your outpatient procedures. You may swing by the hospital in the morning or at lunchtime or in the evening before you go home to, to, to see a consult or two or to do a procedure or two. Um, but it's, it's a mix. Um, the, you know, generally it's outpatient procedures, outpatient office visits, which is probably 90% of what gastroenterologists do. Last 10% would be inpatients. If you're an interventional endoscopist, you're going to be a little more heavily focused on the inpatients because that's where a lot of the work comes in. Um, bile duct obstructions, um, tumors along the GI tract. Usually those people are sick enough or in pain enough where they come in through the emergency room. That's less common. You know, we see it in the office too, uh, but usually a lot of that work comes in through the emergency room. So with you being an interventional endoscopist, and now joining uh, more of a community private practice, how much of your time is going to be in a hospital doing those acute things? Sure. Uh, good question. So the way that the practice I joined has set up their practice is when you join the group, you spend most of your time in the hospital in the very beginning. And then after, time, after a year, two years, uh, you'll transition out to the outpatient side. So the new guys coming in kind of cover all the hospital work. So the partners are just focused on the outpatient work. Okay. So, so even as a, an interventional endoscopist, you don't have to be the one in the hospital uh, doing those acute things. You can still be doing mostly colonoscopies outpatient. and stuff as an outpatient. Yeah, exactly. And you know what tends to happen, other than for maybe the academic interventionalists who kind of stay doing intervention their whole careers, most guys in the community, when they first come out, they're gung-ho about doing all the interventional procedures. And then over time, like in many fields, um, risk-reward ratio, how much time you're spending in the hospital, how much time you're away from your family, you kind of maybe cut off a few of the advanced procedures um, and start doing more colonoscopies. So like many practices, it transitions over time based on your interests, based on time constraints, based on the type of practice you have. Okay. Do you feel, uh, I guess, based on where you have been the last 10 years, not necessarily where you're going to now, uh, mm -hmm. that balance with work life and family, did you feel you had that? Do, do most um, interventionalists have that? Um, I w personally, I didn't feel that I did, uh, mostly because my commute in New York was terrible. Uh, and that's one of the reasons we decided to leave, amongst other things. Um, but I would say that interventional endoscopists generally are the guys in the hospital the latest. Um, you know, most procedure-based specialties, surgeons, there's always a surgeon in the hospital late at night. Interventional GI guys, interventional radiologists, um, they tend to be there kind of later. So it's definitely a field that you are committing extended hours compared to, I'd say, general GI guys, uh, mostly because you just, you know, more of your work comes in in the inpatient setting, which is always unpredictable. So you may have a day of procedure, outpatient procedures, or day of office uh, or clinic, and then you get a call at two o'clock that there's someone with an obstructed bile duct. Can't, you know, you have to go take care of it. Um, so those 
that kind of t- tends to extend your day a little bit. And also the procedures that we do tend to be a little longer and tend to be a bit less predictable than like a colonoscopy or an endoscopy, which you can, you know, block off in 15 minute blocks. You may run over a little, little over, a little under, uh, but generally speaking, you can kind of block it off pretty well. Interventional endoscopy procedures are a bit more, har- a bit harder to put off into certain blocks. I mean, we do time, we do have schedules and try to time it the best we can, but it's not uncommon to run longer. Okay. Talk about the the training path to get to where you are sure. with residency yeah. and fellowship and everything else. Sure. Um, uh, for, for interventional GI or interventional endoscopy, sometimes called advanced endoscopy. So you do your three-year medicine residency, uh, three years of general GI fellowship. And what's happened in GI is that there's been a sub-fellowship thing that's kind of creeped up, crept up in the last five, ten years. Um, right now, there's only one ACGMA-accredited post-GI fellowship. That's liver transplant. Um, and then there's about five unaccredited, uh, which is interventional endoscopy, clinical hepatology, motility, uh, in- inflammatory bowel disease um, that people do. Um, interventional endoscopy being the most popular. Uh, it is ex- we interventional endoscopy recently, last year or the year before, actually went into a formal match process. Uh, whereas before that, it was you just applied to all the programs in the country and you got interviews and got offers and you picked one. Um, so now it's a formal match process, and the expectation is that in the next com- couple of years, it will be a fully accredited ACGME f- fellowship, uh, much like interventional cardiology. Um, and then presumably after that, if you didn't do the special training, you won't be able to do certain procedures in GI. Currently, a lot of the older generation um, gastroenterologists, for example, still do ERCPs. Most of the younger people don't because they, the numbers aren't there to train all GI fellows. Um, so we, you know, the expectation is that a couple of years, once it becomes a full fellowship and a board certification, that they'll probably, you know, they'll grandfather in quite a few people. Um, but new trainees, if they don't do the extra training, won't be allowed to be credentialed to do ERCP, EUS, stents, and, you know, other advanced procedures. Okay. So it's three plus three plus one. Okay. Yeah, I was post med school. I, I'm glad you you went into that those differences there because because my next question was going to be well a, a normal GI doc can do endoscopy so what does the the fellowship bring so exactly yeah perfect yeah. So, so that that yeah that that right now anybody that graduates GI fellowship can do any of those procedures if they feel comfortable if they have certain minimum numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, it was no problem getting those numbers, but with new modalities, better MRIs, uh, endoscopic ultrasound, various procedures, um, a lot of the younger trainees don't have exp- don't, just don't have the numbers and the experience. Yeah. Um, so, I think that ACGME accredited fellowship is going to change things. Yeah, how competitive is it to find these interventional fellowships? Um. It's pretty competitive. Uh, I mean, GI uh, numbers wise is the most competitive fellowship. Uh, GI and cardiology kind of bounce back and forth. Um, Post medicine fellowships, uh, interventional endoscopy. When I applied, I guess that's about seven, eight years ago now. Um, eight years ago, um, there was only about thirty programs, maybe thirty programs in the country. Uh, now we're up to probably close to seventy-five. Um, 
And there's about 350, 400 GI fellows graduating a year. I would say probably 25% apply for advanced in- interventional training. Um, so it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's ultra competitive. Um, the majority of fellows that I've trained that wanted to get it got in. Um, some may have to wait a year. Uh, but most fellows that are interested, that are eager, that, you know, do the right, you know, do the right electives, do the right types of research, most fellows do get in. Um, you're not going to get it if you just kind of casually apply, it may not be so easy, <laughs> but if you're, if you're like anything, if you're focused and take the right steps, there's a pretty good chance that you are able to get into this, to, into a spot. So what, what does make an applicant more competitive? Sure. Um, well, it's hard to gauge, uh, but most interventional endoscopy directors really are looking for people that have that extra knack that we talked about before, that eye-hand coordination, because some of the more advanced skills just need, it's hard to train in one year. Um, you need kid, you need fellows that already have some experience. Um, what they're looking for, I think, is, you know, gauging that during a one day interview is not easy. Um, it's gauged through letters from your program director, um, numbers of procedures that you did during your general GI training. Um, and you know, I've always kind of had this kind of, I don't know if it's accurate or not, but I think part of it also is who do you want to hang out with for a whole year? Uh, interventional endoscopy, unlike other fellowships. I'm sure there's other specialties that have similar things. You're kind of one fellow a year at any program. Uh, even something like as big as Mass General has one interventional endoscopy fellow a year. So it's you. And you're generally working with one or two or three core interventional endoscopy faculty. So you're spending a lot of time with just a couple of people. Whereas in general GI training, you'll rotate around through different hospitals, different services, this and that. Um, so you work with a whole, you know, quite a number of faculty. Whereas interventional endoscopy training, you're really going to be focused with one person or maybe two. Um, so I think part of it is just who they want to hang out with for a year. Um, so be nice to them on your uh, interviews. <laughs> I think that's good. Um, one thing that a lot of students worry about is their degree, whether they're an MD or a DO. From your experience, have you seen any negative bias towards DOs in, um, in so, interventional GI? Mm, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, my exp- I have had the fortunate opportunity to train alongside DOs through all my career. Um, and there have been some that were awesome. They were excellent. Uh, and there were some that weren't so good. And that's true of MDs and kind of every specialty out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there is an inherent institutional bias against DOs uh, from the program directors. Um, if it's a, if the, if, uh, if a resident who's a DO has gotten into general GI residence, general GI fellowship, uh, interventional endoscopy directors, I really don't think are looking at that one way or another. And to, and to kind of add on to that, I think interventional endoscopy directors, if a person is a U.S. grad or a foreign grad, once you get to that level, you've met a lot of floors already. Um, so I don't think that's as relevant. And in fact, if you look at interventional endoscopy fellows across the country, um, I don't have a number about DOs because it's a little hard to discern, but I would say at least a third of them, maybe more, are foreign grads. Wow. Okay. 
What do you wish if, for somebody listening that knows that they don't want to go into GI, knows that they don't want to go into uh, interventional endoscopy, but they, they want to be the, the primary care physician? Sure. What, what would you say to them to, to educate them on what you do and, and maybe make your job easier, make the patient's life better? That is a good question. Um, you know, I think that if you asked me this question when I was a resident or a fellow, I'd have a very different answer than once I'm an attending. Um, the fellows complain all the time about <laughs> nonsense consults, bogus consults, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, I think because my career has been in pri mostly private or quasi-private settings, I look at it is I look at it in from the light of well if a primary if a primary care or a hospitalist is calling me you know what I know and what they know are two different things so I may see it as a simple a simple question and answer and this is going to take me two seconds um, whereas they may see it as something more complicated if you asked me the protocols or the JNC seven right now or maybe we're up to eight or nine uh, in in primary care. I would have a tough time treating hypertension, diabetes, because I haven't done it in so long. So I look at it as it's just something that they don't do very often and they have a question. They need some help. So I think that if a primary care physician has a question, I think the, the best thing to do is just call your local GI guy. Mostly GI guys are pretty laid back. Um, most of us aren't too uptight. Um, I know with my referral networks and stuff like that. They all have my cell phone and text me and whatnot whenever they have a question, you know, personal or professional or otherwise. Um, so I think that as a specialist and especially in GI, maybe more so than other, other fields, uh, we're here to provide a service for them. Um, mo you know, I joke around with the fellows that we only have an armamentarium of about six drugs that we use. <laughs> and it's not too hard for primary care physicians to learn the dosages of those drugs. Um, we're here to do a, we're here to do procedures and we're here to solve problems that a primary care physician doesn't have the tools to solve. So when they call, help them out. I like kind it. Of a, kind of a roundabout way to answer your question, yeah. though. No, it's good. Uh, what what other specialties or specialists do you work the closest with? Um, I would say our, pri I mean, our referring physicians, but I wouldn't say we work with them the closest. I mean, we see their names the most because yeah. they're sending these patients. But the ones that we work with the most, really work with, um, are surgeons. Surgeons, interventional, I'd, I'd say general GI is surgeons. Uh, for interventional uh, endoscopy, we work a lot with Specialty surgeons, hepatobiliary, colorectal, and uh, interventional radiologists. Um, those are the guys that we work with the most because if we can't take care of something, it generally goes to surgery. And that's kind of where interventional GI has found its niche. It's kind of at the interface between medicine and surgery. Uh, we don't cut, uh, at least on the surface, on skin. We do most of all of our cutting inside. Um, so it's just a more, it's kind of the next evolution from open surgery to laparoscopic to robotic, and now a new thing called notes, uh, which is natural orifice trans uh, natural orifice transendoscopic surgery, um, is that we're kind of doing surgical procedures through natural orifices. So there is less incision time, there is less recovery time, um, and you know we're still kind of figuring out where that interface is going to be. Is it going to be surgeons that are doing these procedures, or interventional GI guys, or some kind of radicalization of medicine and surgery that are going to end up 
being the guys that do these types of procedures. What do you know now that you wish you knew before starting your interventional endoscopy fellowship? Um, probably would have gotten better shoes. (laughs) Um, anybody that's on their feet a lot for doing procedures, you got to have very, very comfortable shoes. Um, some people like clogs, some people like sneakers, doesn't really matter. Whatever's good for your feet. But, um, I wish I had, I bought a quality pair of shoes uh, right out of training. I I was a Dansko guy when I was on the floor. You're not a clog guy. I've tried the Danskos. The problem, I'm, 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 I'm just about six feet tall. The problem with the Danskos is you walk around all day in the hospital and Danskos give you about a two inch heel, I think. Yeah. And you feel like, oh, I'm six two. <laughs> you come home at night, you take them off and then you realize you're just <laughs> short man syndrome every short, night. Ex- exactly. Uh, so, I mean, I joke around, I mean, that is an issue with the dance goes, but the bigger issue is that I found them, I, I rolled my ankle once or twice yep. wearing them because the heels are pretty high yep. and, um, they're just not forgiving. Um, I, I, I like them a little softer. So I've switched from, I've tried dance goes, went to Merrill's and now I'm, uh, just back to regular sneakers. I keep a separate pair for, cause you know, yep. they're pretty nasty, <laughs> but, um, uh, just a regular pair of sneakers. That seems to work the best. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. What do you like the most about being an interventional endoscopist? Uh, procedures. Uh, I, I enjoy doing procedures. Uh, I like the definitive nature of it. Um, I like that a patient comes in with a certain specific issue, and not every single time, but most of the time, I'm able to solve that specific issue, be it a polyp, be it bleeding, be it an obstruction, whatever it is. Um, and I like being able to give them a definitive answer. What do you like the least? Um, we do with, we deal with a lot of GI oncology. So, um, unfortunately, um, we do have to, we are oftentimes the first person to inform someone that they have a cancer. Um, surprisingly oncologists very rarely have to give someone a cancer diagnosis because usually by the time they're going to an oncologist, the diagnosis has been made most of the time. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately we get uh, a lot of referrals for lumps and bumps and this on that on scat scan and we're the first ones that have to break the news that a patient that they have cancer which is no matter how many times i've done it um it's terrible every time especially because as interventional gi we you know colon cancer stomach cancers colon cancers in particular are pretty treatable but uh, a lot of the stuff we deal with specifically in interventional endoscopy is pancreatic liver gallbladder cancers which are generally not so treatable mm-hmm. Do you see any major changes coming to the field of interventional endoscopy, whether it's new procedures or treatments or, or anything like that? Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's going to be a, a continuous evolution as, so for example, 20 years ago, if you were, if you went in for a colonoscopy for whatever the reason, and they found a four centimeter polyp, then they stopped the procedure, woke the patient up, gave them a referral to go to see a surgeon, a colorectal surgeon. Um, about 10, 15, 10 years ago, that changed maybe 15 years ago, that changed. Um, gastroenterologists started doing advanced training, becoming interventional endoscopists. We started doing, taking those polyps out ourselves. So it's relatively rare that a polyp, a non-cancerous polyp in the colon is sent for surgical resection. It's relatively rare nowadays for a procedure called a PTC to be done. 
um, which was a procedure that was done routinely after cholecystectomy. The procedures that we're starting to do now are kind of moving more or encroaching more and more on the surgical fields. Um, whereas patients often went for surgery before for a lot of GI polyps and tumors and this and that, a lot of that is done being more and more minimally invasive. And that's where you have laparoscopic surgeons, but even more minimally invasive than that, where GI guy comes, a GI guy comes in, takes out a large polyp, relieves an obstruction in the bile duct, um, makes a diagnosis with a fine needle aspiration rather than open biopsy with surgeons. So we're continually moving into this less, more, or less, more and more non-invasive type procedures. And as our technology and equipment gets smaller and smaller, we're able to go into areas that we were never able to go in before. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be doing what you're doing now? Um, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I enjoy GI. I enjoy interventional endoscopy. For me, it has the right blend of procedures, but a little bit of continuity in the clinic side, which is a good fit for me, uh, what I enjoy. Um, I don't think that there's only one field that a physician could go into. Um, I think there's multiple. Um, I think people that enjoy the cerebral aspect of certain fields kind of have a, a couple of different fields that would work for them. People that are procedure oriented have a couple of different fields that would work for them. Um, but all in all, I, I, I have no complaints about the field that I went into. For the medical student listening to this that mm -hmm. is interested in GI, possibly interested in, in more advanced endoscopy, what would you recommend him or her do to, to start down this path to, to be an interventional endoscopist? It is never too early to start prepping your CV to get into GI. I would say it's harder to get into GI, given the numbers, than it is into interventional endoscopy. Um, you know, when you start as an intern, go by the GI lab. Let the faculty know that you're interested. Um, get involved. Get involved on in research projects. They're not going to let an intern do that much, but there's always a need for someone to collect data, to collate data, to run statistics, to write papers. Get involved early on so that by the time your second or third year rolls around, um, you're seen as kind of like a junior fellow. Um, you're part of the GI team. You're not a, you're, you're, you're a resident, but you're always hanging around the GI lab. And certainly I'm not suggesting you shirk your internal medicine responsibilities, <laughs> but any free time, hang out in the GI lab. And if, when, when you want to move on to interventional endoscopy, same thing, go hang out with the interventional guys, uh, work on the papers with them, come up with research proposals, work on research projects, new ideas, new techniques, um, kind of be a junior interventional fellow. All right, there you have it. Again, that was Dr. Shashil Dudumpudi, uh, interventional endoscopist in the community. If you are interested in GI and interventional endoscopy, go ahead and re-listen to this episode. Follow Dr. Dudumpudi's advice and go seek out some uh, mentors in the field and start getting involved as much as possible. Again, GI, very competitive get it to get into, and uh, interventional uh, endoscopy even more so. So good luck on your journey. If this is what you're interested in, go take this advice and run with it. I hope you have a great week. If you have any suggestions for specialists that you would like to hear on the podcast sooner rather than later, shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. And with that email, 
go ahead and recommend somebody who you, you would like me to talk to. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here at Specialty Stories and MedEd Media.